Hello and welcome to Slower Travel. I'm Ian. Oh, and Zippy's here as well. She just kicked the keyboard. You, you might have just heard that. She's, um, well, she was asleep on my desk and kicking the keyboard out of her way. And now it's pretty much dropped onto the floor because she's stretching out. And um, what? what? What's up? She's looking at me like I'm the baddie here. She, <laughs> she want, oh, she wants a belly rubbing. There you are. Oh, and she's one of these cats, one of these rare cats, that having a belly rub is a preferred method of petting. So she, yeah, she's enjoying this. So yeah, just um, yeah, I'm I'm stroking the cat's belly while reading this to you. So anyway, this uh, this week is the second part of our Lancashire coast adventure from Lancaster to Preston, with us uh, us being me and Luke jumping on the number one from Fleetwood to Blackpool. Uh, not only that, but for the first time, we're taking slower travel on a boat. Specifically, it's the ferry that shuttles between Fleetwood and Knotend. And now, unbeknownst to me, it turns out that Luke doesn't have sea legs at all, but with the crossing only lasting about five minutes, there thankfully wasn't enough time for him to lose his breakfast. Oh, and uh, hey, I had something interesting happen this past week. Uh, on Sunday, I had a game of duplicate Scrabble against David Eldar, who's the new world Scrabble champion. Well, it, it, it was um, it was me and about ten others, but it's the first time I've ever played against a world champ at anything. I mean, he wiped the floor with everyone, obviously, me included, and uh, but I didn't help myself because I bottled out of playing Yobbia for 86 points on the first move, and it kind of got no better from there. Oh, and I've also had my hair cut. Right then, on with the show. Here we go, with the number one from Fleetwood to Blackpool, as well as that ferry over from Knott End. See you in a minute. <laughs> Slowertravel.co.uk Long story short, writes about traveling around the UK on local buses, which I admit is a bit of a niche hobby. I don't know, that sounds pretty cool to me. It's Slowertravel.co.uk It's always a treat being beside the seaside, even on days like this. Dinnertime clouds have eclipsed the mid-morning sunshine in Knotend, with a gale capable of exfoliating of a ruka howling across our cheeks. We take cover in the bus shelter, whose panels convulse with each new violent gust, of which there are many. The tide is already high, but still rushes in. Its slushy brown brine mixes with the dark blue brackish water, trying to escape the river wire's mouth. This churning kicks up an already choppy surface into frantic, oscillating waves. High winds suspended sailings on the ferry to and from Fleetwood last week, and we can't be far from that threshold today. Rather than endure the squall, we opt instead for a pit stop in the Knot End Cafe. We emerge 20 minutes later with our bellies topped up with slices of rocky road and the tiny wire rows battling across the estuary. The red and white vessel sidles up to the bottom of the slipway, water inundating our shoes as we go to meet it. The other four passengers are all old hands at this, including a toddler who does a little dance and giggles with his gran as the boat bobs on the swell. You win again, 
by the Bee Gees' Soundtracks Our Voyage. The 1987 hit blaring out on the radio next to the captain, who wrestles with the wheel from the top of a platform. He arrows the ferry into the tide, sliding us across at an angle between navigation boys, while his colleague jiggles a bucket to collect our £2 fares. It's a much gentler crossing than expected. Even Luke, who dosed up on green tea in the cafe to settle his stomach, soon acclimatises. Spray still flecks the windows, obscuring the industrial topography that hugs the river's western flank, while Knot's End shrinks into the distance. We arrive in Fleetwood with a flourish. As the DJ natters through his next link, the captain opens the throttle and power slides the ferry through a full 180 degrees, docking without so much as a bump. Should demand for this service ever drop, an exciting career as a nautical stunt driver no doubt awaits. I told you Fleetwood was strange, Luke says, as a man blasts out UB40 from a speaker on his mobility scooter. And have you noticed how nobody's got any teeth? He's right. Even the handful of people milling about that aren't geriatric are all gurning, all gum. If anything, it helps me feel right at home. Time is against us for our hourly onward bus, but our path takes us straight past Fleetwood's most recognisable landmark, the Pharaoh's Lighthouse. Plonked in the middle of a regular residential street a couple of hundred metres from the coast, this red sandstone tower is a tremendous sight. Rather than benefiting ships out in Morecambe Bay, it helps boats pick their way through the abundant sandbanks of the Wyatt estuary. Its light first flickered into life in December 1840, the same day as its smaller sister lighthouse by the beach. One of their designers, Captain Henry Mangles Denham, so fell for Fleetwood's charms that he named one of his sons after it. In turn, the senior Denham had islands, volcanoes, towns and trees named after him. Young Fleetwood Denham died of tropical fever aged 16 while serving under his father on HMS Herald in the South Pacific. He's buried on a remote New Zealand island, overlooking, of course, Denham Bay. Fleetwood the place started as a piece of social engineering. Local landowner Peter Hesker Fleetwood, um, come to think of it, uh, rather than being named after the town, maybe his lad was named after Peter Hesker Fleetwood. Anyway, Peter Hesker Fleetwood wanted a place for Lancashire's working class families to holiday. When someone pointed out to him that his town would be dead for most of the year, he bolted on a port to provide employment and an alternative to the Liverpool docks. He commissioned his architect friend, Decimus Burton, who designed London Zoo and had a capacious neckbeard, to plan the town's layout. As well as the two lighthouses alongside Captain Denham, Burton created Fleetwood Town Hall, the curving North Euston Hotel and St Peter's Church. We wait outside the latter for our bus to Blackpool. There's a tree blooming in both pink and white blossom inside its grounds, with each whoosh of breeze sending multicoloured petals cartwheeling downwind. My first swift of the summer soon appears as well, a living boomerang that darts between seagulls and the church's stubby tower, 
snatching insects out of the air with each sharp turn. It's a pension of special on the number one today. Overflowing shopping bags sit on laps and tumble into the aisle, while gossip ricochets between hearing aids. The howl of the engine and the hidey high xylophone that chirps up to introduce each stop. Navigation Way, South Strand, Fleetwood Fire Station prevent a thorough earwigging. We follow the shops and tram tracks along Lord Street and past the relics of Fleetwood's once booming fishing industry. A teenage goth joins the fray outside the town's football club, adding a splash of jet black to the OAP's grey hair and pastel coloured coats. Rather than taking the scenic route along the prom, the bus stays a good kilometre inland from the sandy beach at Fleetwood's bulbous northern extent. Instead, we're whisked on a tour of a council estate, where parked cars lollop across grass verges and block footpaths. Most of the bus flags here are useless, offering neither a timetable nor any clue as to which routes stop there. A grass embankment denies a sea view to the bungalows on Marine Parade, but the air is fresh enough for orange lichen to drop anchor at the apex of their roofs. After a brief foray by the seawall, we're escorted inland again. No wonder it takes an hour to cover eight miles. Despite Fleetwood and Blackpool being geared towards holidaymakers, it's rare that they'll see this part of town. And why would they? It's a residential area, with the occasional parade of shops breaking up the monotony of paved driveways and knee-high walls. We're soon shadowing the tram again as we press south along Broadway. Decorative concrete blocks that look like garden gates line the way in their hundreds. They separate us from the tracks and jade green poles that carry their overhead electrical wires. These poles change to maroon once we cross into Cleveley's, just after spotting a Shetland pony munching on some juicy turf next to the Russell Beach stop. Cleveley's is awash with unintrusive semi-detached houses painted in various shades of cream, from fresh to curdled, depending on how long it's been since their last coat. All life here centres on the crossroads at Victoria Road West. It bisects our path and stretches out with an unbroken string of shops to the left and the right. There's none of the razzmatazz of Blackpool or the rough charm of Fleetwood though. Cleveley's is a workaday place, and thanks to being built on former marshland, has a gradient profile that barely hauls itself above sea level. An elegant tram stop, all curves and colonnades, welcomes us into Little Bispam and Blackpool's northern entrance. What the hell is that? I wonder out loud. Oh, that'll be Narbrecht Castle, Luke says, surprised I've never heard of it. I'm surprised too. It's bonkers. Two enormous wings painted in grey and black and topped by battlements. Right, so oh, that's me alarm. Uh, that's for doing reading. <laughs> but I'm reading this out, so yeah. Anyway, I'll start that bit again. Two enormous wings painted in grey and black and topped by battlements rise seven or eight storeys high. 
It began as a private mansion more than 150 years ago, before being bought by James Henry Shorrocks. He was a self-made dancehall magnate from a Mancunian family of broom makers. After enjoying entertaining his friends, he converted his home into the Narbreck Hydro, a high-end hotel catering to the rich and famous and those aspiring to be. Its attractions included 23 tennis courts, a sprung floor ballroom with shows and cabaret nights, a cinema, its own 18-hole golf course, a billiards room, a croquet lawn, space for 200 cars when motor vehicles were still in their infancy, and yes, even wish drives. Shorrocks' wife Daisy was a concert violinist from Surrey who played with the Northern Wireless Orchestra, performing to the nation on early radio broadcasts. After a few reshuffles and half a dozen name changes, the Northern Wireless Orchestra is now the BBC Philharmonic. The Hydro grew and grew. One extra wing became two. Then World War II happened and the government requisitioned the buildings. By the time hostilities ceased, James Shorrocks was dead and the hotel couldn't recapture its former glories. It still played memorable parts in history though, Ozzy Osbourne's first post-Black Sabbath gig took place here in September 1980, a secret warm-up show with the band billed as The Law, while the Liberal Democrats formed at its conference centre in 1988 after a merger of the SDP and the Liberals. It's owned now by Britannia Hotels and has reviews as scathing as you'd expect of a company that which has named Britain's worst hotel chain for 10 years running. I claim 50p for spotting Blackpool Tower before Luke, just as we head through Bispam's Rainbow Arch, which marks the start and end point of the Blackpool Illuminations. By the way, Luke hasn't paid me that 50p yet, and uh, I've written it down on my chitty. The lights run the whole length of the prom to Stargate, just over six miles south, and attract some huge names for their annual switch-on. Red Rum did the honours in 1977, Kermit the Frog, two years later, while Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen pulled the lever in 2022. The only person to have turned them on twice, though, was Audrey Mosson. Born 60 years to the day before Ozzy's appearance at the Narbrecht Castle, her mum was a Blackpool guest house owner, her dad a railway guard. This allowed the 15-year-old entry into the 1935 Railway Queen of Great Britain beauty pageant, held in front of 70,000 spectators at Bellevue in Manchester, which is about a mile from my house. She won, which led to a switching the lights on in her hometown. To mark International Women's Day the following year, the authorities sent her on a peace mission to the Soviet Union. There, she met the head of the USSR's railways, Lazar Kaganovich, and somehow Joseph Stalin. Audrey's visit made no difference to their paranoia, and the regime soon began its purges. 36,000 railway workers were murdered on Kaganovich's orders, who a few years earlier helped to instigate Ukraine's Great Famine. That policy, and being no doubt that it was deliberate, starved to death an estimated 5 million people. On her return to Blackpool, 
Audrey Mosson went back to her regular life, completing her education and becoming a professional dancer. The youngest of three sisters, she married the same day as her older siblings in a triple wedding, which must have been quite the money saver for her parents. It was also their wedding anniversary. Fifty years after her first turn at pushing the ceremonial plunger, she accompanied Joanna Lumley for a second go. She died in 2009, just two days shy of her 89th birthday. The run along North Shore takes us past a wild jumble of buildings. There's the miners' convalescent home, now renovated into striking luxury flats. Next door is an estate of masonettes that could blow away with a strong enough westerly. Then comes a casino cosplaying as a fairy tale castle, complete with cartoonish turrets and faux flags pretending to flutter in the very real breeze. The hotels and B&Bs are either sparkling in the afternoon sunshine or in rigor mortis, if not full on decay. But for every guest house with letters missing on its sign, there's a Cliffs Hotel, which takes up an entire block in grand fashion. I've been to Blackpool at least a dozen times, but never ventured beyond the North Pier, and it's worth a dawdle. The North Pier is where the chaotic, gaudy Blackpool of tourist dreams begins. The footfall explodes, even on this early season Thursday, with young and old spilling off the pavements and into cafes, shops and arcades. There's even a futuristic wedding chapel overlooking the waves for those who've become giddy on the sea air. What a silly place. I love it, albeit in small doses. Luke's less enamoured. Are you bothered about walking around? He asks as we disembark right behind Blackpool Tower. It's just that the bus to Lytham's in. So there you go, that's the number one from Fleetwood to Blackpool ticked off the list, and I hope you enjoyed it. Now, next week... Oh, hello, what are you doing? She, oh, she nearly fell off the table, uh, and now she's having a wash. Now, next week, I'm not sure if it'll be the number 68 from Blackpool to Preston or something completely different. I've half written the 68, I've got as far as Lytham. Uh, me and Luke, though, both almost died of boredom on the final stretch to Preston. Not all bus routes, it turns out, are particularly exciting. But the good news is that I've bought a new silk purse slash sow's ear transformation kit from the pound shop on Stockport Road, and hopefully I'll have something presentable for you in time for next week. And if you do fancy putting a marker down for that and all future episodes, then just click the follow or subscribe button and away you go. Now, slower travel is a go-away northerner production. It's written, read and edited by me, Ian Burke. And if you want to get in touch, drop me a line on ian at slowertravel.co.uk. The music is by Mesita, and you can download his back catalogue for free at mesitamusic.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time for some more slower travel. Bye for now. Sixty-five from Boston to Sheffield is the best. Slower travel, slower travel.co.uk is slower travel.co.uk.